0: That's Matthew 21, starting at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethlehem, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee.
1: I don't know if you've ever seen those step-by-step internet guides to doing really, really basic things like changing bike tires or cleaning fridges. You see, I stumbled upon a step-by-step guide to something a little bit ridiculous, making an entrance, uh, which I think intrigued me because if I'm honest, I've never really thought about how you make an entrance to a room. I think it was probably angled at people who are a little bit nervous around others who wanted to make a good impression. Uh, Apparently, step one to making an entrance is closing the door behind you. That's fine. Uh, Step two, be mindful of your body language. Again, good so far. Uh, Step three, however, uh, remember this is apparently for people who are a little bit nervous around others. Step three, connect with everyone in the room. (laughs) Seems pitched a bit high, not particularly useful advice. Uh, But I think that guide is right, that the sort of entrance that you make uh, really makes a difference to how people perceive you. Uh, Countries that host the Olympic Games, they put a great deal of effort into their opening ceremonies. Uh, It has to be impressive because that sets the tone for the entire Games. It's how your country will be thought of by the watching world. It's an entrance of sorts, and the entrance really matters. And I guess we see this where it goes wrong too. I still have an image stuck in my head of then Mayor Boris Johnson uh, trying to zip line across Victoria Park to watching crowds and getting stuck halfway. Uh, I'm not sure that dangling 50 feet off the ground, waving two little plastic Union Jacks, was the way that he wanted to be remembered. It won't have escaped your notice today that Matthew, our Matthew passage today features. Uh, Jesus making a big entrance. He's entering Jerusalem in a pretty memorable way. If you haven't got that passage open still, uh, flip back to it, it's on page 995, because we'll be looking at some of the details. In the last few chapters, uh, Matthew has been showing us Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. It's been a king-themed journey. Uh, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's been talking about powers and thrones. Uh, Just a few verses beforehand, Uh, Matthew tells us of Jesus healing two blind men Uh, and they cry out to him, Lord have mercy on us, son of David. Uh, Son of David, that kingly title, it's a king-themed journey. Uh, Jesus is a king and Jerusalem, his destination, it's the city of God's king. Uh, Like an Olympic opening ceremony shows us a lot about the country that's hosting, Uh, King Jesus' big entrance is going to show us a lot about him. It's his big moment. It's the moment these chapters have been building up to, uh, that moment when we get to see the sort of king that Jesus is. Matthew wants to show us more of what Jesus is like. Uh, And that's really important for those of us who are Christians, uh, because Jesus is a king that we want to follow, uh, to imitate. Uh, We know that his life sets the pattern for our life. So anything that helps us get to know him better is great or if you're here today, just looking into Christianity, maybe. Uh, seeing Jesus is important too, uh, because Christians follow Jesus. Uh, is Jesus the sort of king that you could trust with everything? Uh, don't worry, I don't think we're overanalyzing to look for this sort of detail in this passage. Uh, Matthew makes it pretty clear that Jesus, in his entry, wants to make us but to make something really clear about himself. Uh, he's careful to show us Jesus stopping outside Jerusalem at Bethphage about an hour's walk. Uh, it's not a rest stop. That would be like stopping at motorway services about 10 minutes from your house. Um, instead, I think Jesus is doing the final planning for his arrival. Uh, the details really matter, so he's making sure they're all in place. Uh, look down at what he says to his disciples in verse two. Uh, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Uh, He's sending off his disciples to arrange the appropriate form of transport for his big entrance into Jerusalem. Uh, When Prince Charles becomes king, I'm sure there'll be a big parade up the long road that leads to Buckingham Palace. Uh, And I think this stop in Bethphage, outside Jerusalem, is like the carriages and the horses drawing up at one end of that big, long road, ready for the final stretch before the watching crowds. Uh, but we've been waggling around the sea enough. Uh, what does Jesus want, him to se- want us to see about himself? Uh, what sort of a king is Jesus? Uh, let's have a look at how Matthew describes his arrival, and then we'll come back to a few details that we might very easily miss. Uh, We're on point one of our handout. That might be helpful to have. Uh, Point one, God's global king arrives. God's global king arrives. Uh, This passage is often called the triumphal entry. I think that's what Campbell called it earlier. It might even be the little heading above this passage in the church Bibles. Uh, And you can understand why it's called that uh, by the way that Matthew describes it. Uh, All eyes are fixed on Jesus. All attention is on him. All attention is on preparing the way for the king. People aren't just standing, watching, uh, they're getting involved. Uh, The disciples, they take off their cloaks, they spread them on the donkey for Jesus to sit on. Uh, Not to be outdone, the crowds, they spread their cloaks on the road for him to walk on. Uh, There's a story told of Sir Walter Raleigh laying his cloak over a puddle so that Elizabeth I could walk without getting her shoes muddy. Uh, It's a sign of respect that we still probably understand today. Uh, But Raleigh was just one man, I'm sure with a wardrobe full of cloaks. Uh, This is crowds of people throwing their clothes on the road to be trampled by a donkey just because of the man sitting on it. Others, they cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. This is the full red carpet treatment, or maybe green carpet treatment, I don't
0: know.
1: And the noise, you can almost imagine it. Look down at verse nine. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him, notice there are two crowds now. Jesus is surrounded by people. Uh, The crowds, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I imagine Matthew could still remember the noise as he sat down to write this account. Uh, The noise of people everywhere cheering for God's King. They're using words from Psalm 118, earlier in the Bible. It's a song about a victory parade as God's king enters his city. Every time they sang that song, they looked forward to a day, uh, to a coming king who would save them from their enemies. Perhaps even from the Romans who were occupying Israel at the time. Uh, God's people were waiting for a king. And here he was, right before their eyes. So they shouted the right words from the king's song. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Matthew points to a more explicit prophecy in verse five. There he's quoting mainly from words that the prophet Zechariah wrote about 500 years beforehand. Words that we said earlier and again look forward to a day when God's king would arrive in Jerusalem to save his people. Look down with me at verse five. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. This is a prophecy that's 500 years old, but here he is before their eyes. Jesus, this king, is the king that God's people have been waiting for. Uh, We spoke a little more of Zechariah's prophecy to one another earlier in the meeting. Um, And I think it's important to see that uh, this is a big thing. Uh, We might think that it's a small thing, Israel getting a new king, uh, but this has global implications. Uh, When we read those words earlier, uh, we heard that the king that Israel were waiting for uh, would rule from sea to sea. Uh, I love the phrase in that prophecy. uh, He will rule from the river to the ends of the earth. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Zechariah wasn't just waiting for a king of Israel or even for a king of the territories around the Jordan Zechariah was looking forward to a global king, and here he is. In this triumphal entry, fulfilling prophecies, receiving praise, Jesus is demonstrating that he is God's global king. The crowds, they noticed, they were shouting. Matthew, he noticed, he wrote it down. But will we notice I'm sure there are lots of people who think that they know what Jesus is all about, who just haven't reckoned with the scope of the claims that he makes. Uh, Lots of people, I think, treat Jesus like Jordan Peterson or Marx or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, if you're from the States. Uh, They might say, you call Jesus king. That's great, I suppose. But I I prefer Jordan Peterson's rule for life uh, or I prefer Marx's take on society. But when Jesus presents himself as king, he means something far, far greater. Uh, We don't have royalty uh, with any real power anymore. Uh, So when we hear king, I think we think of figureheads. But the Bible's idea of a king is one who actually rules. A king with real power. Uh, Sure, he uses it for good ends, protecting his people, helping them follow God, destroying their enemies. But this king has real power. So if Jesus is your king, when he speaks, we listen. And if what Zechariah is saying is true, if what Matthew has spotted is true, and Jesus' kingly rule really does extend from the river to the ends of the earth, he has a claim over each and every one of our lives. Uh, there really isn't any comparable example here on earth. Uh, the president of the United States is basically the most powerful man alive. Um, but if he wandered around DC, even he would come across people uh, from other countries, uh, people whose governments would get in, who'd kick up a lot of fuss if he decided to uh, make a claim over their lives. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he's claiming to be the sort of king who won't ever come across somebody who he's not king over. His rule may not be fully visible to us now, today, but Jesus' claim is to be God's global king, a king of everyone and everywhere, from the river to the ends of the earth. Uh, That, I'm sure, would be a lot to chew over this Easter, uh, but I think there's more to see in this passage uh, there are some details in this story of the king's arrival that we might not expect, uh, that it might even be easier for us to ignore. Uh, so we're not going to ignore them. We're going to dig in. Uh, I'm sure you spotted the first detail. Uh, we haven't mentioned it very much, uh, but Matthew mentions it three times, which I think is outrageous in this passage. The donkey. Uh, God's king arrives, humble on a donkey. We're at point two on our handouts. God's king arrives humble on a donkey. Matthew is very keen to highlight Jesus's choice of transportation. In verse two, uh, Jesus sends his disciples to fetch a donkey. In verse five, Matthew quotes Zechariah to say, why a donkey? And in verse seven, they actually fetch the donkey and get it ready to ride. Uh, This is painstaking detail. But why a donkey? Uh, On one level, it's not surprising that Matthew highlights the donkey. Uh, Zechariah promised a global king on a donkey, just like we've heard. Jesus arrives on a donkey. He fulfills the prophecy, therefore he's God's global king. Uh, But I think the donkey is a surprise, even in Zechariah. Uh, There are lots of Bible prophecies about God's coming king, uh, but Matthew picks out the one that highlights the king's humility. If you look down at verse 5, where that prophecy is quoted, it says, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. Jesus chose the donkey for his big entrance because he wanted to emphasize his humility. Then, as now, the donkey was not a noble method of transport. They're slow, they're plodding pack animals it would have been just as fast to walk those two miles to Jerusalem than to ride on a donkey. Uh, Donkeys are good for the bags over a long distance, but not for a king. Uh, In this passage, we see that Jesus is the long expected king, uh, but he's arriving in what's actually quite an unexpected way. Uh, The president of the USA, when he rocks up to events, he rocks up in The Beast, a seven-ton limo, with eight inch thick doors, uh, plus built-in smoke screen, oil slick, and electrified door handles for if anyone gets particularly close. Uh, The Prime Minister of the United Kingdom arrives in a three-ton Jaguar uh, with a built-in oxygen supply. But Jesus, God himself, the King over all creation, arrives on a donkey. It isn't exactly a good fit uh, we would be absolutely gobsmacked if we saw the queen roll up to a state dinner in a Fiat Panda. <laughs> Jesus deserves the armored cars. He deserves the Jaguars. Uh, they would be a better fit for his status. But he lowers himself. Uh, that's what humility means, lowering. Uh, God's go- global king arrives humble on a donkey. I wonder if we don't really understand this because we have a slightly warped view of humility today. Uh, It's performative. Uh, Humility is performative in our minds today. Uh, Humility is a photo op in a food bank before you step back into your Ferrari. We're slightly sceptical of it. Uh, Humility is lying about our status or abilities to make people think we're approachable. It's the humble brag. It's not real. But Jesus' humility wasn't pretend. He was actually lowering himself. It might help us to see that in Zechariah, the word that's translated humble uh, is the word afflicted, knocked down, suffering. Uh, It's not a radically different idea to humility, Uh, it just helps us to see how the coming king is lowered. It's the word that Isaiah uses to describe the coming servant who would be killed. For the sin of God's people. Isaiah says this coming servant was afflicted. Jesus' humility would be pretend if the donkey was the only part of his life that was humble. Uh, like the MP who goes to a food bank for a photo op and then goes back to the fancy office. Uh, that would be pretend humility. Uh, but the whole reason that Jesus was heading to Jerusalem was to lower himself to death. Uh, The donkey that Jesus rode in on was another step towards Good Friday, uh, when Jesus would be afflicted for the sins of the world. That's how God's people would be saved. Uh, That's how God's king will establish his worldwide rule, uh, through Jesus being afflicted. Uh, We think that the donkey is a step down for the king, uh, but it actually reflects the fact that Jesus' life is the greatest act of humility possible. God's son, his global king, lowered himself, first to dwell with us in flesh, and even lower to die for our sin, and even lower to a shameful death on a cross. He came from the highest heaven to a criminal's death. What could be more humble? And Jesus' humility, the king on the donkey, it's deliberately subversive. We're so used today to powerful people who put their status on display and throw their weight around to get what they want. We're so used to fame and celebrity culture that we think that's what power and leadership really look like. The charismatic boss or the charismatic preacher, we think that he's God's man because he's super impressive Uh, There's no room for humility in modern life because humility doesn't get results. I think even the disciples struggled with this. Uh, This passage is the climax of the last few chapters of Matthew, uh, where Jesus' followers have been struggling to reconcile Jesus' rule and his death, his humility. The disciples wanted a share of Jesus' glory, uh, but they couldn't accept the fact that he had first come to serve to give his life as a ransom, a sacrificial payment for his people, like Helen was talking about in the interview. Uh, Like the disciples, uh, we struggle to hold Jesus both dying and ruling together in our heads. We struggle to hold dying and ruling together. Uh, We make it an either or. Jesus is either humble or God's global king. Uh, And normally in those cases, humble loses. Uh, We end up airbrushing out the donkey. It's easier because that's how the world works. It's easier because we save face. It's just easier to airbrush the donkey out of the picture of the triumphal entry and just think that Jesus's arrival was all triumph and glory. It's easier because the whole reason that Jesus needed to come humbly is that we needed saving. He lowered himself to save us from our sins And in our pride, we hate to admit it. Jesus, our king, lowered himself to save us. And Jesus' life is our pattern too. It's the shape of the Christian life. We can only understand the shape that our lives will take as Christians if we can hold together both Jesus' kingship and our humility. And his humility, sorry. Will we lay down our lives now in the footstep of the one who was crowned on the cross? Will we accept faithful, humble leaders who look weak and unimpressive to the world simply because they're following in the footsteps of their global king who arrived on a donkey? Uh, We need to remember what Jesus showed us as he entered Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is the king on the donkey, uh, the most high and the most humble, in one. And there's one last aspect that we'll very briefly consider about Jesus' arrival. Uh, We're at point three on the handout. God's global king arrives to a mixed response, a mixed response. As the passage was read, did you notice how much of it occurs actually outside Jerusalem? Uh, It's a bit funny for a passage called the triumphal entry. Uh, The entry doesn't actually come until about verse 10 of an 11 verse passage. I think Matthew wants us to feel a building sense of anticipation uh, as Jesus covers that last bit of ground before the gates. Uh, Matthew's building up to that big moment when God's king crosses the threshold of his city. Uh, He wants us to look at how Jerusalem receives him. If you look down at verse 9, the crowds that were shouting, uh, they aren't in the city. Uh, They're the ones walking with Jesus. They're going before him and following him. Uh, the people shouting are probably pilgrims coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, remember, they're singing Psalm 118 uh, because they recognize that Jesus is the victorious king arriving at Jerusalem, the king they've been waiting for. And uh, Matthew wants us to compare that psalm uh, with what actually happens when Jesus arrives. Uh, I've printed the line that Matthew wants us to think about on the handout. In the original psalm, people sing Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. That's the temple in Jerusalem. In the psalm, it's like the city, and especially the temple is filled with people praising the arriving king. They're shouting, we bless you from the house of the Lord. But notice what happens in our passage. The crowds with Jesus, they sing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the first half of the line. But it's as if it's a call and response song. They sing the first bit. The city is meant to sing back. But the city, they don't actually welcome Jesus. They're meant to sing, we bless you from the house of the Lord. That's the right response. But as King Jesus arrives in verse 10, listen to what Matthew recalls. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? I've printed that comparison on the sheet if you want to look at it. Uh, Jesus caused a stir in the city, but they do not recognise him. Who is this, they say. Uh, Jesus is a king who receives a mixed response. Uh, The crowds, they receive this king on the donkey. Uh, But Jerusalem, his own city, doesn't know what to do with him. Uh, In this contrast, Matthew is issuing us with a challenge. He shows us both options for what to do with this humble king. Receive him like the crowds, or not like the city. It's as if Jesus' arrival as king into Jerusalem divides the world in two. A few years ago, I was coming down the escalator in Bank Station, and I saw two posters facing one another, one on each side. Uh, One was an advert for Richard Dawkins' new book. He's a celebrity atheist, and he said, it just said, outgrowing God. Uh, And on the other side, the poster simply said, Jesus is king. Uh, There are two sides. Um, Jesus king, outgrowing God. Uh, Matthew knows that God's king arriving humble on a donkey is a very hard pill to swallow. Uh, But he wants us to remember that this is not a decision that we can dodge. Uh, God's global king has arrived in his city. Will we receive him? Uh, Tragically, Jerusalem didn't. uh, And over the next few chapters, we see the consequences of that, as Jesus goes to his temple, the place that should have received him, and judges it. But the question remains, will we receive him? As Christians, we need to keep hearing this challenge, because there's a really subtle way of not receiving Jesus that we've talked about already. We could accept that Jesus rules and reigns, but airbrush out the donkey. And that is going to be a constant struggle, because we are very proud. Jesus came humble, afflicted, Because we needed saving. That's hard. Uh, And it's hard too that as Jesus calls us to follow him, uh, this is the pattern that he sets for us. Uh, The donkey is another step in a life that took him to death to serve us. Uh, Our lives will look like this. We should value behavior like this. But we airbrush out the donkey. Uh, We don't want our colleagues to think that we're loonies for worshipping a dying king. Uh, for saying that we need saving from sin. Uh, We don't want the 4pm to look unimpressive and weak. Uh, But Jesus seems to think it's the only way. Uh, It's how he chose to show up. I think this passage is absolutely incredible against the backdrop of a world of glitz and glamour. It is almost unbelievable that the king of all creation would arrive humble on a donkey and keep on humbling himself over the rest of the Easter story to death, even death on a cross. Uh, But with this triumphal entry, Jesus' arrival presents us with a choice. Uh, This humble king is the one that God has appointed to rule all things. Will we receive him? Uh, Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your son, the king of all things, arrived humble on a donkey to serve and to save us. Uh, Please help us to remember that he is both humble and king help us not to airbrush out the donkey. Uh, Though we find it so hard and challenging, please shape our lives to be like his life. Uh, In his name we pray. Amen.